Thanks for listening to the River Claremont podcast. We pray you are encouraged by today's message. For more information or to stay connected with what's happening at the river, follow us on Facebook and Instagram at the River Claremont. Come on, somebody. We started a series last week called Good Ground, talking about what we consider membership here at the church. I want to give a shout out to Christian, Christians watching online. Christian was involved in a motorcycle wreck two Sundays back. He should have died, guys. I mean, everything indicated that he should not have lived. I went and visited him last week in the hospital, and as soon as I walked in, he started quoting Sunday morning to me. And so we sent him a masculine plant because we don't send flowers to men. We send plants to men. You know what I'm saying? So we sent him a masculine plant, and we're just so love you, Christian. We're praying for you, everybody here. We had another couple in the church last night that was involved in a serious motorcycle accident. We were waiting on an update, but they are expected both to live too. Bill and Maria Warren have went to visit them this morning. Apparently at this time, I would just recommend if you have a motorcycle, put it in the garage for a little while. <laughs> Amen. Amen. My wife never let me get a, a motorcycle because of that. So I just ride my bike around the yard and go The neighbors think I'm crazy, but it has also stopped them from coming over and borrowing sugar all the time. Get your own dang sugar, people. Sugar used to be a lot more affordable than it is now. We buy the organic good stuff. You can go down the road and get your own sugar. My sugar is for my girl and my girl alone. <laughs> blah, 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 blah. Who used to put baseball or like uh, playing cards in the spoke of your body? Okay, come on. We know what's up. <laughs> my, my parents bought me a bicycle that was like, it was uh, the Dukes of Hazard car. With like the whole side on it. And I thought I was the coolest kid around until I clotheslined myself on the clothesline. <laughs> Apparently that's why they call it clotheslining. <laughs> Nearly took my own head off. And my mom was like, you can't, you, you, you just sit in the house. <laughs> we let you out, you break bones, you jump off of things you shouldn't jump off. And I'm like, but mom. <laughs> Let's get into today's message. We're going to talk about time. Serving and honoring God with your time. How many people realize that time is the one resource you do not know how much more you have of? You cannot necessarily generate it on yourself. I mean, you can hire people to free up your time, that type of thing. But time is held in the hands of God. And the Lord said in his word to honor him first, seek his kingdom first, to put a priority in everything that he is and everything he stands for, which is really an indication or a commandment of use your time to build my kingdom and chase after me all of your days. And then from that, I will reward you and I will bless you openly of things that you could have spent your time pursuing. It's something truthful that people have to realize that truly as you approach God, anything that he ever asks of you to give up does not actually turn into a sacrifice. It turns into an open highway of blessing. That if you give God your time, the time that remains will be more blessed, more fruitful, and more delightful than time not given to God. Do you believe that? Anybody in here, before you were serving the Lord, have whole nights that you black out and don't even know what you spent your time with. 
So you don't even know what you wasted it on. But one thing's for sure, the pounding head and the lack of money in the bank account indicates that you didn't spend it on wise things. Truth be told. The Bible says in Matthew 6, 24, this is our foundation scripture for this series, Good Ground. It says, no one can serve two masters. You'll either hate the one and love the other, else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, the New Living Translation calls it money. But I chose to use the King James, even though I usually use New Living, because mammon is not money. Mammon is a demonic principality that the word says that's, that's what we war against. In Ephesians, we don't war against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities in dark places. Mammon is a demonic worldly spirit. Anybody in here realize there is a worldly spirit and there's a holy spirit? The worldly spirit is constantly leading to deeper and deeper levels of perversion and really captivity, slavery. All of that is bound up in a worldly spirit. The enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. God has come that we might have life and life more abundantly. Amen. Amen. So serving, it says you can't serve two masters. To serve means you're giving your time, your talents, and your treasures to them. Many people don't realize this, but over the course of what you're trained and the society as a whole is meant to keep you bound, keep you broke, and keep you in debt. You know, I went to, I went to college to get a business degree. I also went to Bible school to get a theology degree. And that's how I wound up becoming a pastor. If you're going to do something for God, educate yourself. But in, Bible, or in, in business school, I was actually taught by an instructor, he said, um, as a high-level executive, that when they hire employees at his business, they would encourage them to put themselves in great debt by encouraging new cars, bigger houses, all of these things so that over the course of time they would get in debt to create an image of success. And they said, we did this because the way to get an employee to work for you is to put them so in debt that they can't leave. And so that's played out all the time in America that we're encouraged from every commercial out there, everything, buy more, buy more, buy more, buy more. It temporarily satisfies you, but ultimately it doesn't satisfy you. And so then you wind up with a whole lot of junk and then you wind up with no freedom in your life. So you're tired, you feel burnout, but you're trapped. And so people are depressed. So then they turn to alcohol, they turn to drugs because they're trying to have some type of relief in the midst of everything they're going on. But God's plan is that you would see through all that, walk in a level of prosperity and blessing where you would be removed from the curse that was upon this world. Amen. Amen. Before the curse, man didn't labor or toil hard. Fruit just grew on plants. Come on, somebody, much like my grandmother's yard growing up. But... In that course of time, they had one thing they weren't supposed to do. Don't eat this one fruit. You need all the other fruit. Just don't eat that one fruit. What did the idiots do? <laughs> My God, when we get to heaven, Adam is going to have a lot of choice words from a lot of people, I'm sure. Eve, what were you thinking, lady? Why did you eat the fruit? From the fruit, the Lord came and he cursed the ground. Now, it's important to realize God did not curse man. He cursed the ground. He said, from this day forward, the ground will be cursed. You'll have to labor hard to produce from it. Labor, the production of life is now cursed in the sense that you will go through much pain and suffering to bring forth the baby. Thank God for epidurals. Hey, ladies. Science is not all bad. 
<laughs> but the curse started, the pain of labor, and it escalated as soon as sin entered in. We hit this last week. It goes from you ate a fruit to you killed your brother very quickly. Because right. sin has a way of doing that. What you give to sin today, it will take far more than you ever want to give it. It'll keep leading you further and further. As anybody that's ever battled with addictions or battled with depression realizes, you give the devil an inch, he will take a mile. Jesus came to restore man with God and place us back in our intended position through the sacrificial covenant that only he could bring. It was completed through Christ over 2,000 years ago, but now for us to walk in it, it is a fight of faith because we still live in a world that is cursed. As the world remains cursed, the ground, the labor, the pain of labor in this flesh, so you now have to require, it requires strong faith and a commitment to live out the promises of God every day to free yourself from the bondage that this world wants you to be lived and enslaved in every day of your life. So what does that look like? Number one, making a decision within the spirit of yourself, the mind of yourself, to love God and be passionate because you cannot serve God and mammon. So make a decision. I will not serve mammon with my days. My time will not be allotted to produce something that this world tells me to produce. My time will be allotted to the kingdom of God and he will provide for me what this world wants to withhold from me. Amen. Amen. Luke 10 says, the man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your strength and all of your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. So we're talking today about our time. The use of your time is going to indicate what you wind up forming a connection and an intimate relationship with. The more time you spend with someone, the closer you will get with that person. If you poll the crowd, your best friends were people you went to school with. As you grow up, it becomes co-workers. Where marriages fall apart is the husband works all the time over here, the wife over there, and they form other emotional connections. And ultimately, what happens? Intimacy arises because you spent time with someone. So if it's recognizable all around the world that who you spend time with is who you get connected with, my question is, are you spending enough time with God to get really deeply rooted and connected to the Spirit of God so that you think like Him, fall in love with Him, you sing Him songs, and every day is great because you have this great relationship. All right? Now, I know men struggle with this. Women are like, He's my boo. Men are like, bro, like, does he go hunting with me? Does he like shoot stuff? Yeah, Jesus is totally an alligator hunter. Amen. I know it. When man sinned, God came in and said, pick an animal. We shooting that thing in the head and we eating it. Because that's the cure. Intimacy with God requires you to kill animals from time to time, people. People are really chewing hard on this right now. <laughs> Colossians 3.23 says, Work willingly at whatever you do, as though you're working for the Lord rather than people. I wanted to say that to tell you this. Who in here has a job? Raise your hand if you have a job. Okay. Wow. That's not a lot of people. Let me just scratch my sermon. Let's talk about job applications. There's a little thing called an application. Everyone's hiring right now. 
Let me try that again. Who in here has a job? Still the same number. Okay, yeah. I love it, man. I love it. Jobs ain't for me, bro. I've been redeemed from the curse of the law. Well, why are you always asking for money? Because I'm blessed. I'm too blessed to be stressed with an old job. I'll read this to tell you. I work. I've worked my whole life. I grew up on a dairy farm. We always worked. It was just always work. I mean, you, like, hey, who wants to go on a vacation for three hours? Oh, wow. <laughs> like, we never got away. You had to milk cows twice a day, every day, and the cows don't understand vacations. I don't know what's wrong with them. And so I grew up like that, everybody in here. But there's a difference between working a job for mammon and working a job for God. And so I just want to encourage you with this before I get further. You're going to work jobs in your life. You're going to do some jobs that you hate, some jobs that you love. The way you approach a job is, is it strengthening you? Is it stretching you? Are you gaining things that you didn't have before? Is it a test of faith? Then those are the things you stay for. If it is dead end, not rewarding, not training you, not teaching you, not stretching you, then God has something better for you and be encouraged to go out and find that better thing. Amen. But you do have to put your hand to something. We hit that last week. And so I'm not saying that the whole goal is from now on, quit your job and stay at home and just sing Kumbaya and the Lord will, will find favor in your life. You do have to work, but do it as unto the Lord. Right. Do it as unto the Lord. Say, I'm not serving a, a company or a corporation. I'm going to walk in upright character. I'm going to have a great work attitude and great ethics because I'm representing my Father in heaven above. I do it as unto the Lord. So what I place my hand to, I want it to bring glory to God. When I was in Bible school, I did valet. I parked cars, not, not ballet, where I, where I wore tight-fitting clothes and pranced around. I did that too, but only for a short season. Sprained an ankle and my career was over with. You know what I'm saying? People don't warn you about the dangers of ballet. You just go out there and everybody thinks they can do these things. But when I parked cars, I actually, I got, I put in a word for two of the people I went to Bible school with to be hired with me. And they're in Bible school. I was a young believer, serving God, raised on a dairy farm, hard worker, was, had favor with the company. And I'm like, these guys are, they're, I mean, they're born again. They love God. They're full of the Holy Spirit. Of course, I'm going to give you a, a good letter of recommendation. I'm going to get you hired. Well, they got hired. Well, one of them goes right out and wrecks a car and doesn't tell anybody, just plows into the wall tries to cover it up. It's all on camera. They come to him. Did you wreck this car? He lies and says, I did not wreck the car because he doesn't want to take responsibility for his actions. They, of course, have to let the guy go. But then they come to me and they said, you know, we hired this person because you recommended them and you're a great worker. You do great things. But this person lied. They showed me the video. Here he is every day crying out to the Lord, shouting glory, hallelujah in church. And everybody's prophesying, you're called to the nations, you're going to do great things, you're going to have a mighty ministry, all of this stuff. I can tell you today, this person's not in the ministry and he's not doing great things. And I can tell you why. The calling could be there. But if you don't know how to get yourself right, if you don't know how to work and do it as under the Lord and realize that if I wreck a car, I rip the front end off of Mercedes Benz as a valet driver. Rip the thing snot off, bro. 
That's, and I got fired for it, but I went to him right away and I said, because I wasn't like dumb enough to be like, I can just t- t- tape it on, you know, like I have destroyed a very expensive car. <laughs> what do you want me to do about it? And they were like, ah, you know, and the funny thing was, is the lady was gambling because I was working at the casino at that time, you know, righteous job. I was working at the casino and her husband was like working, producing an income and she had a gambling addiction and he had told her, do not go to the casino anymore, trying to cut her off. She went that night and I ripped the front end off their Mercedes where she can't get into her house because it was a smart house where when the car pulls up, everything unlocks and she didn't have a key. So she had to call her husband and he had to pick her up at at the casino and he's like, I told you to stop gambling. If he hadn't ripped the front end off of this, I would have never known. And I'm like, <laughs> I was like, me and my boss, we were both sitting there like, could you, could, yeah, if you, uh, we're going to go talk amongst ourselves over here. <laughs> don't you don't go, don't you go to the casino. You might wind up with a car that ain't working just to reveal what's going on in your life. But I want to say this work. Do everything is under the Lord. In that sense, have excellence in whatever is given to you, whether it seems great or small, whether it seems mundane or of high responsibility and great praise. Do it as unto the Lord. If you do it unto men, then the praise of man always falls empty on the inside of you. It will not fill you up. You have to do it as unto the Lord. Walk in excellence because God has empowered you to walk in excellence. Amen? Amen. We're talking about... Serving God with our time, I'm going to break it into three sections and I'm going to try and move quickly. Time with God, time for God, and the test of time. Number one, time with God. The Bible says in John 1, 7 and 9, Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you will be successful in everything you do. Study this book of instruction instruction continually. Shout continually. And meditate on it day and night. Say day and night. night. So you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all that you do. This is my command. Be strong and very courageous. No doubt this is true. That if you would take your life and put a priority on the word of God continuously in your life. Spending time with God. Consuming his word. Letting his spirit work on the inside of you. Having a focus. A mind. A heart in tune with the spirit of God, you will find out that you will be led into greater success than you could have been led in without having that in your life. Years ago, when I graduated college with a business degree from Oral Roberts University, I was lost. I didn't know what I was supposed to do with my life. So I had that emptiness. I had the desire. I had the zeal. I had great dreams of success, but I didn't know any material dream or what it looked like or what it was. And so I have all this potential but literally no outlet. So I decided I'm going to fast and I'm going to seek the Lord. So I took my dog, Beatrix Potter was her name. She was a little ugly pug with one eye that looked there, one eye that looked there. She never knew where she was going and often ran into things. Little Beatrix and I go on a camping trip, a man trip, throw up the tent. I'm going to fish for my own food. I didn't bring any real food, hardly just a handful of like bologna sandwiches. And so I'm just going to seek the Lord. And the first night, a deluge of water hits. I have to sleep in my car. My tent has a foot of standing water inside it, even though it was waterproof because it, you know, it just rained. 
And so a raccoon ate all my food. Beatrix is all upset. She didn't want to go to the bathroom outside, so she's trying to go in the bathroom in the car. It's just every, like, this great God trip is turning into a misery, and I'm in the midst of it, and I'm praying, seeking the Lord in the morning time, like, God, I just really need direction. My phone rings, and it's my father-in-law, Dr. Rodney Howard Brown. He says, I'm going to Africa. I feel like you're supposed to come with me to Africa to help with soul winning. I said, all right. And instantly I felt, this is the Lord. I'm, I need to do this. I didn't know what it was leading, but I at least had an unction. So I said, yes, we go to Africa. We were only supposed to be there for 12 days, for 12 days of glory across uh, TBN, all Africa. But it wound up exploding. It exploded to, the, uh, to a level of 50 straight days of meetings. We saw tens of thousands of salvations. The favor of God was on this set of meetings in such a way I'd never experienced it even to this degree since but i saw some of the craziest miracles with my eyes i mean the wildest genuine miracle bones being healed rashes being cured supernatural miracle after miracle favor of god everywhere we went it was supernatural and i was there and in the course of this 12 days turns to 14 days 15 days 16 days it just keeps going there was a guy that came to the meetings that owned a restaurant and anybody that has ever been in a restaurant business knows that the amount of labor in a restaurant is very intense. It's not just the hours they're open. There's a lot of prep time, a lot of order time, a lot of cleaning time. So restaurants are a very busy type of career to own. Well, he owned a restaurant. He was hungry for God. He shows up in the first week of meetings and he purpose in his heart. He said, as long as these meetings go, I'm going to be a part of every single night. And in his mind thought, it, it will cost me. My business will suffer some. I'm always working. I have to be there a lot. I'm the owner, but I want to choose. I'm choosing God during this season. So he chose God for the remainder of the 12 days. 12 days went to 50 days. In 50 days, having purpose in his heart that he would be a part of every single meeting, he never missed a single night. Now, his restaurant's primary time was nighttime. And so he had to rely on staff and everything going on. And every night, here he is in the presence of God, letting the Lord fill him up. After 50 days, he came to us and said, I just want to give you a testimony. I thought that my business would decline, that I would lose money, that I would struggle. But I made a purpose in my heart to say, I don't care what I lose. I really need the Lord right now. And I just purpose to be here every night. But in 50 days, my business didn't struggle. The restaurant became more profitable than it has ever been before to the point that I had enough cash to start a second location that is already as profitable as the first location. He said, the Lord has literally quadrupled my income in 50 days. And the moral of the story is if you're willing to take time to be with God, the remainder of your time will be anointed, multiplied, and blessed. Come on, if you believe that, shout amen. I believe it, Pastor Jeff, that's on staff with us, part-time associate pastor here, also works and leads teams for solar cells. But every Wednesday, he purposes to be here. He comes in for prayer. He stays all day long with me, and he, he sets the whole day aside. And he said, in that one day, every single week, setting aside a day just to be here to serve the Lord, he has more referrals on Wednesday than any other day throughout the week, even though he works those days, because if you take a day to serve God, God will bless you. Amen. If you don't believe it, just ask Chick-fil-A. Come on, somebody. Three things that are consistent in this world. God's goodness, the enemy's opposition, and Chick-fil-A. 
Be strong and be very courageous. Continually study the word of God. Day and night meditate on its goodness. Put it ever before you. Choose to take your time and put a priority of your time to be the focus on the word of God, the kingdom of God, his righteousness, his leading, and the remainder of your time will be blessed. Now, we read this, and this is the word of God when God spoke to Joshua concerning now is the season to go into the promised land. Forty years has passed. People's clothes didn't wear out. God fed them every single day. It was supernatural, but now is the hour to go in the promised land. And when it was the hour to go in the promised land, Moses passed away. God spoke to Joshua and to him directly saying, as I was with Moses, I will be with you. Be strong and courageous. And today you're going in the promised land. Now, why did God choose Joshua? Was it just because he had a cool name? Was it because, no, it is simple. In the word of God, Exodus 33, 9 through 11 says, it came to pass that when Moses entered the tabernacle or the tent of his presence, that the pillar of God's presence in a cloud form descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle. The Lord talked with Moses. The people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the tabernacle door and all the people rose and worshiped each man in his tent door. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And then he, he being Moses, would return to the camp. Supernatural, glorious. God comes in, the pillar of his presence. Everyone sees it. Moses meets with him. But his servant, Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. So when everybody else's attention focus back to what the tent camp is doing and what we need to be working on right now, Joshua hedged himself in the glory of God and stayed in the tabernacle where God's glory was. And because of that, when God needed a man for the next generation, he knew who the man was. It was the man that spent time in his presence. If you want to see supernatural elevation in this life where God elevates you to another platform, to another level, get this right. Know the Lord thy God. Spend time in his presence. Forget trying to please everybody else. Forget networking. Forget getting your business card out there. One hour of prayer could literally be more effective than $10,000 on Facebook ads. If God is on your side, if you know the Lord, if he's with you, things will go well for you. If you believe that, say amen. Amen. Hallelujah. That's time with God, giving our time to God and entrusting God to then take our time and lead us in his timing. How many people realize God's timing is not your timing? That's why our midnight hour, God does not respond at our midnight hour. We think it's the midnight hour, but God's like, bro, it's only 2 p.m. on my clock. Shut up, quit whining and keep going. You're like, God, midnight, bro. I'm telling you, my enemies are closing in. This is bad. God's like, nah, it ain't even started. <laughs> Lazarus is dead. I'll get there in three days. What? You know, anybody ever had that with the Lord? And he's, he's a lot more chill than we are. Like, yeah, it'll be okay. What do you mean it'll be okay? America's falling apart. <laughs> Peace out, bro. I don't care. Well, we care. God's timing is not our timing. Give God your time and God will take your time and then you'll function on his timing and his timing is literally perfect. I've seen God weave together stories of such vast complexity that it will blow your ever-loving mind. Where you realize he had to move this, move that, connect that, bring that, make that happen, change this for this to happen and you just sit there like, 
divine moment, trust God. Because if you are where you need to be when you need to be there, you will never forget that feeling where you feel the fullness of God's approval saying, you made it. You got here. This is exactly where I wanted you, exactly when I needed you to be here. And that fills you with such confidence to know, man, God is ordering my steps. I cannot fail if God orders my steps. It may look like failure, but it's just a setup for great breakthrough. Amen? Amen. If you believe it, say amen. amen. So Joshua was chosen for the very reason that he took his time to spend it with the Lord. In life, you juggle a lot of stuff. You got family. You got pets. You got, man, pets take a lot of time. You know what I'm saying? Every morning, I want a cup of coffee, but first I got to let the boy out. Because he's in there like, eh, eh. And you got to take him outside, and he's too excited to go to the bathroom. He needs like seven minutes of love before Frenchie can release themselves, you know? <laughs> Just go potty. I'm too happy to see you. Go potty. Wind up peeing on your feet because he's so happy. Just go in the yard, dude. But it's you. I, I haven't seen you in hours. I haven't even had my cup of coffee. Things take time. And that's why the world tells you to get more things so that you can take more of your time to take care of the things that you bought. Buy a boat, they said. <laughs> Ask this guy. No, I'm just joking. It's good to see you in church for the first time in three months, JC. We had to pray him back in. He changed the name of his boat to the river so he could, he could honestly tell people, where were you Sunday? I was at the river. <laughs> get, get more stuff. You need land. Bro, you get land, now you're out there like, I'm mowing like seven hours a day. Why, why did I get land? I want to downsize to a 900 square foot apartment. With like a two-inch square of grass in the front. <laughs> then you got to exercise because it's important to take care of your body. Who in here exercises daily? <laughs> it's worse than the jobs. <laughs> That's why halfway through praise and worship, most of the people sit down. It's, it's not that you don't have a desire to worship. You're just like... Carry on amongst yourselves. I pulled a hammy, pulled a hammy. Should have stretched before that worship set. And yet, if someone preaches on exercise daily and we're all like, amen, brother, you got to take care of yourself. Yeah, that's what I always say. Then you got to have hobbies. Everybody's like, your problem, you're stressed, you're uptight because you didn't have any hobbies. Well, I would have hobbies if I had 13 more hours in the day. But I got a wife, I got a kid, I got dogs, I got, I'm, thank God I don't have cats. <laughs> Jesus, everybody knows the story of the cat in Tennessee. The reason why cats are full of the devil. <laughs> it's because Satan snuck onto the ark in the form of a rat. And the cat had to eat the rat to save the whole ship. And therefore, the cat is full of the devil today. 
You're welcome. No, you will not find that in the Word of God, but you will find it if you observe these creatures in the nighttime. Never trust the creatures whose eyes glow in the evening time. <laughs> Dear God, what is that thing? It's just Phoebe the cat. So you got a family, you got a career, you got education you need to further. Because what everybody said, you know, if you want to get to the higher level, study to show yourself approved. Educate yourself. Okay, I'm going to educate myself. Then you got to have a hobby because now you're stressed out. And then they're like, study the word of God. And you're like, got it. And that's why we wind up in the situation of feeling empty, feeling tired, feeling like we want to change. What leads us open to the enemy can quickly uproot your life and send you on a rabbit trail because it seems exciting and it seems new. So you think that's it. It's just not really working right now. Because i got a lot going on. But this might be the solution. If I just change and I move to a little town in North Carolina where there's nothing going on, I'll finally have a peace of mind. But no, you didn't know this, but in a little town in North Carolina, there's still cats running the streets, bro. <laughs> and you still have things going on. Time management is very important. And that's what I'm talking to you about. Learning how to discipline your time. But beyond disciplining your time, you're going to find out. I can get my time in line, but I have to watch my energy too. Because where a lot of people, they'll, they'll, they'll schedule themselves out with 1,800 things and the time slot will allow it. But your energy level will not allow it. And then what happens? Everything suffers because you're actually just exhausted. So when we talk about honoring God with our time, we're saying, I understand I need a hobby. I believe in exercise. I want to live a long and healthy life, but let's be honest, that can go down the list, as most of you have already made the decision to do. Thank God for that elliptical you bought. It is great to hang clothes on. Because you have to decide. As a born-again believer, there is a lot of things I can put my attention to. But I choose to get rid of the clutter of my mind and say, the first thing I want to do is honor God with my time. Therefore, God, here I am once more with your word. Thank you for your word. Your word is truth. You sanctify us by the word of truth. Sanctify me today. May I think right, see right, know right, walk right. May everything that you want me to walk in, I walk in. May the things this world tries to entice me with lose its affection from me so that I can walk upright in this hour. That is giving God our time. And if we get this down, what happens with a person that masters the level of honoring God with their time and truly being filled up, that empowers you to then do something for God. But you can't do something for God if you're empty. You can't give somebody something you don't have. You can't give them freedom if you're bound. You can't give them joy if you're depressed. You can't give them breakthrough if you're held captive. You have to first obtain these things yourself. And you get that through the time with God that leads you into all things so that you actually walk in the promises of God. And they're not just something that one day in the sweet by and by will manifest in your life. Now, I'm teaching myself this too. Never understand anything I say in the sense of I have mastered these things and you are all peons. Every one of us is in the process of life, always going before the Lord and reevaluating and saying, God, how did I get this much stuff going on? How did I get off track here? 
Lord, I put my life back under your, 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 the fountain of your goodness and say, Lord, wash away what I don't need. So that I can do something for God. Because I, I knew when I got saved, and many of you in this room are in this capacity, you have this heart. Man, I want to do something for you, God. You have done everything for me. You have removed every obstacle. You have eradicated sin. You have healed my body. You have delivered me. You have broken addiction. So I want to do something of value for you. I want to not have empty hands. I want to have hands that are full of your goodness to pour out your goodness to other people. That's time for God. And that is a call upon every born-again believer's life. It is not five-fold ministry I'm talking about. It's talking about, the Bible says, those that know their God will do mighty exploits in His name. 1 Corinthians 12 says, all of you together are Christ's body. All of us together are Christ's body. You individually are not the fullness of the church. You individually are a child of God that carries a part of the church, but you are not the church. The church is the collective us. Is that good? You got that? That's why it matters to have community. That's why it matters to have discipleship. That's why it matters to have mentors. That's why it matters to have a family that you belong to. That's why these things matter because everybody in here has a portion, but not the whole. And so we all together are Christ's body. Each of you is a part of it. Here are some of the parts God has appointed for the church. First are apostles, second are prophets, third are teachers. Then there are those who do miracles. Then there are those who have the gift of healing. Then there are those who help others. People just breeze past that one. Let's get back to the meaty stuff. Apostles, prophets, teacher, miracle, healing. Then there are those that help others. And then there are those that have the gift of leadership. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then there are those who speak in unknown tongues. Shabbat-da-da-da-da. So all we focus is on really what happens, why this is glazed over, is because helping others is not spectacular. It's like, yeah. But having platforms, having followings, this is what we're all to go for. Truth be told, if everybody in here went for it, the body of Christ would be the most ineffective structure that ever walked planet Earth. Right. It's knowing your assignment and being faithful in your assignment that matters. There is a calling of God for helps, helping people. Keyword there is help. Come on. Yeah. Ministry of helps has help, not ministry of hindrance, ministry of stopping, ministry of burdening down, depressing others. It's a ministry of helps. Yeah. Helping people is godly. Boy, this is good. You guys are... It's like revival. I feel it. This in, helps in administration is what it's talking about. You know, every large church that in, the, in the spirit-filled Pentecostal world that I live in, and that's all I know, I was not raised denominational. If I do things that seem offensive to denominations, I literally have no idea. I'm not, I don't know that world whatsoever. I don't know a lot of things. I just know God, his goodness, his word. I know what I've learned along the way, and I'm constantly trying to pick up more. So I'm not saying that I'm the, the, the man with the greatest message ever. But I am saying this, that I don't know the wholeness of the word of God or, or the, the wholeness of, the, of the, the things going on in church world. But I know that in the spirit-filled world where I walk, many times people will raise up and say, the reason why we don't grow is because we have long services, we speak in tongues, we cast out devils and all of these things. So it's literally the reason why we ain't growing is the power of God. Right. 
But I don't see that in Scripture. And Scripture says unless God builds the house, you're actually laboring in vain. So unless God's power is present in the place to build the place, then you have built a social club. And maybe that's the thing. Maybe that's the thing. Many of what we would label churches is social clubs. But I will challenge you with this. The reason why these social clubs that don't have power don't necessarily have that. And I'm trying to make fun of people. Just hear me out. The reason why they can build great numbers is because they do have this right. They have created a culture of people that come together and unify to build something. A large organization is never built on one dynamic leader. It is built on the backs of many contributing dynamic leaders themselves coming unified with a vision to make this thing happen. So maybe the problem is in the spirit-filled world is we all get a little bit of the Holy Ghost and think we can do it on our own and never submit ourselves to doing something together. And that's our issue. And so maybe we just all need to realize, God, whatever part you have for me is enough for me because I was made for that part, which means it will fulfill me. And beyond that, faithfulness in that part leads to promotion from God. And I want promotion from God, not exaltation of man. If man lifts me up, man chops me down. If God lifts me up, man can't take me down. Those that refuse to bow cannot burn. That's what I want. That's what I desire. So when you see these things and you realize these things, I've had to go through this my life because as we built this church, we will always hit, we hit levels that like, okay, we're plateauing or whatever the term is. You're hitting a ceiling, you're bumping your head and you're doing this and you're trying to focus on what am I doing wrong? And the first thing I always thought when, I, when this happened was it was always me. It was always me that was wrong. So I would be very hard on myself. And I'd feel like the worst dude ever. I nearly quit the ministry so many times because I felt like a failure. Forget your feelings, okay? Because your feelings are not facts and facts aren't truth. And so I would sit there in myself. And then I remember having a moment where I saw an exchange outside between a member and another person. And they were like so rude. And the person got so upset and they left. And I thought, praise God, I'm not the only one running people off. Like sometimes it's you guys that have done it. You know what I'm saying? They love me. They just don't like you. (laughs) It gave me such freedom to realize I'm not the only one that messes up. It's not always one person that's the fault. It's actually the body itself that when you hit a plateau, you can focus on this area thinking it's that area. But oftentimes it's something over here that is lacking. It's you need a restructure. And God began to show me when you have that, I'm a God of growth. I'm a God of pouring out. I'm a God of of, of multiplying. God's desire is for all of Claremont to be shaken. Trust me. God is not like, I choose a little bit of them, the special ones, the people that have had a real hard time in life. Those are the ones I want to help. But the rest of them, God's desire is for everyone. So if you really get the mind of God, God's mind is build my kingdom, make it strong. Occupy until I come, he said. So when you have a level, you begin to realize the structure is what's wrong. That we need to get marching orders back from the same general. And then you begin to see God's growth again. And God's favor. And it is in the sense of you feel stressed, you feel tired. You're not supposed to feel that way. What is wrong in the structure? Find that out, let God feel it, bring in the right people, get the right people stepped up. Then suddenly you don't feel tired and then you've multiplied. People say, what is it all about? It's about building God's kingdom. 
But it's about realizing that this church is not built on my speaking ability. Thank God it's not (laughs) Jesus. It's built on the backs of every one of us. It's the unification of the body of Christ that comes together and says we will all do our part. And then God breathes upon that because there's something strong there. Discipleship cannot be handled by one person. I mean, nobody in here holds within themselves the ability to minister to everybody's needs. Sunday morning in itself is, is, is a literal, uh, I don't know what the term I want to use here, but how do you take one service, or, or even if you have multiple services, how do you take a service with several hundred people in a room, some that don't know God, some that just got saved, some that have been saved 25 years, some full of the Holy Spirit, some walking in miracles, some that don't even know what, how, to, how to speak in an unknown language, never been filled, and minister to everybody at the same time. Bro, you need the Holy Spirit, but then you also need supplemental. You need them to get the fire within them to say, I will read the word and I will pursue God in my own time. Number one, say, I want to be discipled. Nobody pours into me. The problem is, is everybody, every time someone tries to pour into you, you don't have time for it. And so we have people that come and they say, well, we're just needing someone to pour into us. But what they really want is you to pour into them on their schedule, not any other schedule, and then they're like, we need someone to hear God for us, but when you hear God and you bring it to them, they don't like what God had to say. So ultimately, the strength of the church is every one of us not thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to, and saying, me just as anybody. One of the greatest things I thank the Lord for is thank you for calling me to be a pastor, which I didn't just become a pastor because of a job opportunity. I became, before I ever was pastoring, I I did the bathroom duty, I vacuumed the floors, I was an usher, I dropped many people in prayer lines. I have grace on people that drop people. (laughs) Bro, these things happen. I had a WWE wrestling experience one time and nearly broke a lady's back. It was the worst feeling ever. She started to fall, I tried to catch her and I tried to do one of these moves. All I did was literally knee break, crack, whack. She goes, ah, and rolls on the ground. The pastor looks at me like, you better pray that she is not paralyzed. (laughs) Jump on her, Jesus, heal her, and then her husband falls. What's wrong with you people? Fall in order. Everything be done decently and in order. It's like the person that chooses to fall forward. You know that people are standing behind you and you're like, Timber. One of these days, I'm going to get a person. When I'm a preacher, I'm just going to be like a uh, like an MMA move. Just whoo, right in the gut, you know. Timber. Whoo. Bah. I won't do that. <laughs> Churches rise and fall together. It takes, it takes a village. It was the saying for raising a kid. Still, it takes a village to raise a kid in the church. It takes everybody to help disciple a person up. It takes everybody lending a hand. The more people that are a part of it, the greater the strength of the church is. It is not built on one person alone. Amen. Acts 6, 3 through 4. We hit this in our Book of Acts series. It says, So brothers, select seven men who are well-respected and are full of the Spirit and wisdom, and we will give them this responsibility. Say Responsibility. 
then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. As the church grew in the early days, they became aware of this. And if we're going to stay filled with the word of God, stay prayed up so that we are able to minister to people on a spiritual capacity, we need help to help minister to them on a physical capacity. Because all of these things matter to God. And so what did they do? They, they prayed. They got the mind of God. They appointed deacons to help. A ministry of helps was birthed to help the church continue to grow and adequately meet the needs of people. I mean, as you leave today, those that are parents, you have to realize somebody is over there pouring into your kids. And you have to realize culturally, we, we are always approached with culture. 15 years ago, church wasn't even built like it's built today. 15 years ago, LED walls didn't matter. 15 years ago, 20 years ago, kids' church was not really as big of a thing. It was sometimes there, other times not there. This is all something we have culturally become to accept that if there's kids' church, there's got to be kids' church if there's a meeting. Why? Because we want someone to watch our kids. I'm not saying God shames that. I'm saying we chose to realize the culture of America is that. So let's bring the culture of heaven to that and let's get people that are full of the Holy Ghost that are not just going to babysit your kids, but are going to preach the word of God to them, lay hands on them, worship God and pour the spirit of heaven in the inside of them. So your kids are receiving something next door. But how do you do that? You have to build an army to do that. Are you with me? Some days we have 120 kids over there. 120 kids is a good sized church. You, you walk over there with 120 kids. You'll come running over here being like, <laughs> and there's people over there holding it down that God is anointed to be like, you sit down, you come over here. I prophesy, young man. <laughs> Though you are unruly now, the Lord will get you. <laughs> Fire. Ah! As you grow, there's actually just more opportunity, but also more responsibility that is required that it has to be the church that says, we're stepping into this, man. We're not going to hold back the kingdom of God. Are you kidding me? In the nation of America right now, with all the writing on the wall, the church has got to rise up and say, this is the hour for us to see the glory of God like never before in the churches. We're going to do this thing and we're going to see ourselves break levels. Amen. The ministry of helps that the Bible talks about, as we read in Corinthians, ministry of helps in Acts, when they birthed it, is, is scripturally psalmist, deacons, elders, and intercessors. Psalmist. I know everybody's like, what's that? Like a palmist? As Uncle Joe might say, the book of palms. Psalmist, deacons in modern language, it's worship team, serve team, leaders, and prayer warriors. That's what it is. What's the ministry of help? It's anybody that helps. Right. Are you helping the kingdom of God? Are you doing your part? Is this okay? Are you with me right now? Yes. All right. In serving, stay with your task and don't try to do everything. Imagine if I wanted to be on the worship team, teach the kids church, usher, and preach the word of God. It would look insane. When we first started the ministry, I had to do it all. I had to work my own audio, pray for people, and run around and catch them. Have you ever tried to pray for someone and run around and catch them at the same time? I'm just asking, you know what I'm saying, for a friend. No, I'm asking for me. Fire. 
that's when you're like, if it's the Lord, they're going to be okay if they fall. Fire, whack, hope it was God. If you're injured, I'd just like you to know I don't actually have any insurance whatsoever. Nor do I really have any money. So it's not going to be worth it to try and take me to court, brother. Okay, all right. Is it the Lord? Okay, good. So a question I asked myself, and I asked myself for years in church, am I adding or, I'm so, or am I subtracting from the things of God? Am I being a benefit? And I say that because everybody in here, we need a family, we need resources, we need help. Sometimes we need financial assistance, the church is there. Sometimes we need ministering to, sometimes we need prayer, sometimes we go through traumatic events and we need counseling. Sometimes we just need a family to sit us down and look us in the eye and call us on our fluff. All of that we have need of, but if all we ever do is take and don't add back, are we adding or are we subtracting? So the reason why people get burned out in church because of the term church hurt that we've created. And let me just tell you something. Church hurt, just call it hurt. Because you're going to get hurt in a lot of places in life. Amen. You're going to get hurt by a boss that's, I don't know why in corporate America, jerks get promoted more often than not. But they do. And so you can hate your career just by bad management. But ultimately, you're going to have many opportunities to get offended in life. Do you know what the original word of offense means? It means to pick up a rock. The Greek word for offense means to bend down, pick up a heavy rock, which means it's a verb and you're the one doing the action. Choose not to get offended. Don't pick up heavy rocks. Leave the rocks where they be and keep on going and thank the Lord for every day. Amen. God will move whatever needs to be moved. See, where people get burned out is because people do come to church, and in modern society, we want kids' church, we want worship, we want a good word, we want a beautiful, clean building, and we want sparkling, clean restrooms. They say, they say in the church, well, these are things I learned after becoming a pastor. People come to church, and they look at the worship, they look at the parking lot, and they look at the bathrooms. The pastor, apparently, is not even on the top three list, which freed me up a lot. That's why I started dressing down. I wear tennis shoes. I don't really care. I really let myself go. I grew the beard out. I mean, it's looking rough, but let's be honest. I'm the fourth guy on the list. As long as the bathroom's clean, I can look like I'm a half-shaven homeless dude from Miami, and it's all well. Bathrooms were good, though. Kids' church was great. Pastor looked like he's been going through a hard time, maybe on a bender. We'll pray for him. I think it's our church. And when we first came here, we were like, I was trying to build the church, praying, praying, praying. I mean, I'm like bombarding heaven. And my wife says to me one day, well, maybe we should change the bathrooms. I said, what do you mean change the bathrooms? She said, well, in the women's bathroom, there is a hole in the ceiling. And the light flickers like a Halloween movie. There's a stain in the corner that looks like it might possibly have been a member. That got out of line. And I'm like, you're kidding. She brings me in the bathroom. I'm horrified. I'm like, oh my God, this looks like something off of a horror film. And we're trying to tell me, come, the Lord is good. We do everything excellent. Until you have to go to the toilet. Then you're like, grab the purse, head on down to Wawa. We out. So then we changed the bathroom and suddenly we grew. Amen. It's amazing. The women felt comfortable to sit down and go to the restroom. When others see the value of church, when we expect other people to give everything and don't give ourselves, 
other people will see the value of the church and step up to the position to say, I will serve because I see the value of what's going on in the church. But if they don't have a support group that comes and serves alongside them, a good person gets burnt. And we don't want that in the kingdom of God. Sometimes you have to recognize you're a Martha and sometimes you're a Mary. The Bible says in Luke chapter 10, and I'm trying to move quickly. Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem and they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught. Say listening to what he taught. So Mary's sitting there chilling with Jesus at his feet listening to the word. It's like awesome. But Martha's distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. When I read this, I can tell you right away, me and Martha would get along very well. You prepare a great meal, I'm down. You know what I'm saying? When is it? Three, four o'clock? When do I need to be there? I'm hungry. But she did all this work. She comes to Jesus and says, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. But the Lord says to her, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it and it will not be taken away from her. Now, the moral of the story is not be lazy and just sit at the feet of Jesus. The moral of the story is actually time management. It's recognizing that there are times that someone has to serve so someone can sit. And I'll tell you this, we have had people join serve team that then will only come to church when they're on serve team. That is a a quick road to to emptiness in your life. If you only show up to pour out, you're going to miss out on what God wants for you. Be in the house of God, whether you're serving or you're not not having to serve. Be filled up. And beyond that, Sunday morning is not enough anyways. So if you're only getting fed on Sunday morning and you haven't disciplined your time as we started to get God throughout the week, you're going to be empty anyways. So there are people that will come, they serve six months to a year, and then they come and they actually say, well, we feel emptied, we feel drained, nobody's pouring into us, and they want to blame the church. Let me tell you something, you're the one that is responsible for that. If you pour out, pour out, pour out, pour out, pour out, and don't let yourself be filled back up, it's no one's fault but you. Are you with me this morning? You have to recognize this. And so make it a priority to get yourself filled up with the goodness of God and the word of God so that you are not running on empty. Likewise, there are people that come and only want to be poured into all the time. There are people in the spirit-filled camp that they always have a demon that needs cast out of them. Bro, some people got more demons than the devil has working for him. I'll just tell you, bro, every week I got another one. I got another one. Where are you collecting these guys? Like, stop playing Pokemon. Stop catching these things. Dude, we've, we have prayed. We have fasted. If you have seven more, I don't know what to tell you. It's like always a perpetual state of needing more, needing more, needing more, needing more, needing more. Well, you're leaking out. Plug the ship, bro. Get yourself right. Walk in victory. We're here to disciple. We're here to pour out. But if you have been in that state for 10 years, that is not the promise of God. The promise of God is true freedom, blessing, victory in your life, in all areas. If you believe that, say amen. amen. So it's the, it's the time management. It's pour out so I can be poured back into. The Dead Sea is the Dead Sea because it has an inlet and no outlet. So it collects all the salt and everything dies. Don't be the Dead Sea. Right. Amen. amen. Is this good, guys? Are you happy? Yes. 
Now, as long as, oh, turn with me in Exodus 17. As long as Moses held up the staff in his hand, the Israelites had the advantage. But whenever he dropped his hand, the Amalekites took the advantage. Moses' arms soon became so tired that he could no longer hold them up. So Aaron and Hur found a stone for him to sit on. Then they stood on each side of Moses, holding up his hands. So his hands held steady until sunset. As a result, Joshua overwhelmed the army of Amalek in battle. One of the most powerful scriptural representations of serve team of the ministry of helps. That on this day, they had a supernatural victory, but every part mattered. If Moses wasn't there to lift his hands, if Aaron and Hur weren't there to hold the hands up, and if Joshua and the warriors didn't go to the battlefield, if any component was missing, though the Lord is with you, you will still fail. Because not everybody's doing their part. And what we think is, on that day, who got the greater reward? Must have been Moses, right? Because he was the leader of the people. Must have been Aaron and her because they were the ones that helped the boss. No, the reward went to everybody that day. Because when the kingdom of God gets a victory, everybody benefits from it. If you believe it, say amen. That's the way it works. The reward system of God is not based on this person must get a bigger reward because they're a cooler person in the kingdom of God. The reward system of heaven is that if you are to give, if you take a prophet in a prophet's name, if you give a cup of water to a person, whatever you do, do it under the Lord and we all share the same reward. You believe that? So as the kingdom of God grows, the people of God reap the rewards thereof. And if you're faithful in your assignment and your role, and I'm trying to close, I'm sorry that these things take so long, but I took two weeks off, so I read like 25 books, and I got a lot to go through, you know what I'm saying? But I hope this is, I'm not trying to repeat myself either, I'm trying to go through it. In the course of time, where people got to realize is that God has great things in mind for you. But in all of this, you say, you're just telling us this so that we'll serve in church. No, I'm telling you this because the only way I can stand where I am today is because I served in church. Because I was faithful in what seemed small. And when other people didn't recognize anything, God took note of my life. And not that the goal is to be a pastor. The goal is just simply to live the victorious life God has called you to that is fulfilling in every way. And ultimately, you have to realize that in faithfulness to God's word, to be filled up, to pour out, in that creates an environment where God's timing upon your life will lead to promotion that only God can give you. And that is the promotion that you want, as we've already established. Can you stand the test of time? I, I tell you this, this society that we live in today wants everything instantaneously. And you know it's true. We have to wait for, I was walking into a, a Cracker Barrel the other day, because God knows that that place is just so good. <laughs> I know that the person back there making those biscuits must be full of the Holy Spirit, because I taste the love. Amen. It's probably like the roughest dude ever, you know, like, ah, killed seven people. I just make biscuits now. Okay, Roy, let's go. I don't know why I always use the term Roy name, but I was there and as I was, I was entering in, someone literally walked past me cussing mad. What kind of bleeping restaurant takes an hour to get your food? 
I mean, just cussing mad, cussing the, uh, the, the person that were taking the pay, payment out, just screaming. I mean, you're like, man, bro, it's like Christmas music is playing. You know, everybody's happy but you. And you did get your food. If the plan continues, you might not get food at all. So if this is you after waiting an hour, I hate to see you after three days. Right? And so we want things instantaneously. But time is sometimes a test. And you can hate me all day long for this, but I promise you this, God will test you. God will test you because he has things of great value that he doesn't disperse to a person that didn't pay a price to have it. Because then you won't value it. And you don't know what it took. And so God uses time to test the hearts of people. The greatest test of faith is not if you'll jump on a bus today and preach the gospel, which every one of us needs to do. The greatest test of faith is that if we can serve God, hedge in and and be on fire for 20 plus years serving God, whether we're jumping on buses or not. Faithfulness is the key to the rewards of God's kingdom. Being faithful over what seems small opens the doorway to what seems great. Plus, I'll tell you this, that most of the people that you look at and think, man, it must be good to be them. The only reason they're able to stand in that is because they paid such a price and realized how to carry responsibility because promotion is always responsibility. It is not, oh, let me have that because I get more. Let me have that because I carry more and have to do more. Well, how can I do more? Well, I had to put myself through the fire. To know how to keep my time allotted to God, keep my eyes focused on God, keep myself pouring out for God so that I would have something to actually stand and be able to do more. What did Jesus say right before he left the earth? Man, if the vine ain't connected, if the branch ain't connected to the vine, you will not bear forth fruit. But those that are connected, God will come and he will prune you so that you would bear forth more fruit. What is that? That's the test of time. That's the other people getting promoted, other people being celebrated, all these things happening. And here I am, God, am I a mushroom kept in the dark and fed a load of, or I'm somebody that has your attention and your love. And I'm closing with this. I hope this has blessed you. But first Samuel 17, I'll close with this scripture and then we'll, we'll go. If I can get the worship team, you like spirit fingers, spirit fingers. Libby, if you could play like that, that would be next level. Like you're on the ground and you're just like spirit fingers. <laughs> I'm going to start out in B flat, rise up to C minor. First Samuel 17. One day Jesse said to David, this is King David before David was king. Take this basket of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread and carry them quickly to your brothers. Give these 10 cuts of cheese to their captain. See how your brothers are getting along and bring back a report on how they were doing. Now, the chapter before, 1 Samuel 16. Here's David working in a field. His dad doesn't think anything of him. His brothers think nothing of him. But the prophet of God sought him out because God had already found David in the wilderness. And had already tested his heart. And already decided, this is a man whose heart I can trust. And he brought him forth and he anointed him in front of his family. One of the greatest things you'll ever experience in life is when God singles you out and speaks a word of encouragement over your life publicly. There is nothing, there is no one that can praise you or speak into you greater than when God recognizes you. That's the recognition I live for. To hear the words, well done, thou good and faithful servant, is everything. 
But when this word came, man, God said it through the prophet, things must be really great. But literally nothing changed. He's prophesied this great thing. You'll be the king. But what did he do? The next day, the dad sent him right back out to the same field, to the same load of sheep. And his brothers went off to war. And here's a man that had a word. It's a good word. It's a mighty word. God has called me to the nations. God has called me to business. God has called me to to wealth. God has called me to fund the end time. God has called me to pastor. God has called me to preach. You have the word. But where are you? You're stuck right smack dab in the field before you ever got the word. You're like, God, when does it change? Chapter later, David is called forward. But David isn't called forward with this word. Now is the time to go forth and manifest the promise. He's called forward to do helps. Go and carry food to someone else that's fighting the battle. God will weave the divine into the mundane. And where many people miss the test of time is always looking for something spectacular, always looking for praise, always needing word, always needing affirmation, and not staying faithful in the thing that God has placed you to stay faithful in. And in that faithfulness, one day the mundane will break way to the supernatural. One day the mundane of serving will open the doorway to something spectacular. You say, man, God told me that I would see deaf ears here. One day serving in kids' church, you may get that opportunity, but it's the faithfulness to be there day in and day out and be the one that God knows, I can send this person for this miracle because they're reliable. Is God able to rely upon you? Come on, church. Is he able to trust you? Sometimes it looks like an errand that we have to run, but really it's a God-sent plan to break way to something more. I'm going to ask for every head to be bowed and every eye closed this morning. Thanks for listening to the River Claremont Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in seeing lives touched and changed by the love and power of Jesus, you can give online at www.riverclaremont.com. Your prayers and financial support are changing lives.